Are you living your best life as a salesperson or entrepreneur? Or do you find you're working all the time on this hamster wheel of life while stressed out and not financially free, which is the exact opposite of what you had signed up for, especially now in this global pandemic? If this is you, you are not alone. I found myself there in 2008 when I lost everything, including my health, and had to pivot working from home for the first time with no money. I rebuilt my life from scratch, juggling motherhood and marriage to get my life back and be recession and pandemic proof today. Now we live laptop lifestyles with our kids and are poised to travel the world together. How did we do it? Join me as I share my health and wealth and wisdom secrets, tips, tools, and expert interviews to equip you to be recession-proof and live your best life. My name is Lois Kofi, and this is Healthy and Wealthy and Wise. Well, all right, all right, all right, and happy Tuesday, everyone. This is Coach Lois. I am your host of the Healthy and Wealthy and Wise podcast show that normally we are tuning in live every Friday morning, but today we have a really special guest, and I wanted to have him on our show, <laughs> Mr. Frank King, because it's it's a big it's a big month. Uh, if you guys haven't been paying attention, um, we're almost halfway through September, and I've already done two shows around this theme, um, talking about suicide prevention, mental health awareness. So I, I'm really excited. We're just going to kind of dive right in because this topic is, is so near and dear to my heart, and I think this could be um, no pressure, Frank. One of my most powerful <laughs> episodes. <laughs> and I, I met Frank this year on LinkedIn. The cool thing is I am hiring him as my, my TEDx coach. Um, he's a suicide prevention speaker, which I didn't even know at the time when we were first talked. And he's a trainer. And he was actually a writer for The Tonight Show for 20 years. He's got quite the resume. So I got to share more about his, his story. He's fought a lifetime battle with major depressive disorder and chronic suicidality, which I need to find out more about if that's, is that a thing? Um, turning that long, dark journey of the soul into six TEDx talks. So that's amazing. Six, not one, but six and sharing his life-saving insights on mental health awareness with associations, corporations. He's traveling all over the world, guys, and colleges talking about how depression and suicide ran in his family. So he's thought about killing himself more times then he can count. Uh, he's a motivational public speaker and comedian um, who uses his life lessons to start the conversation, giving people permission to give voice to their feelings and experiences, which is so relevant in today's world um, and basically surrounding you know, depression and suicide, which is our focus this month on my podcast. So doing it by coming out, as it were, and standing in his truth and doing it with humor. He believes that there, where there is humor, there is hope. Um, where there's laughter, there is life. Nobody dies laughing. The right person at the right time, and I totally agree with you, with the right information can save a life. So mental health comedian. Now, Frank, you got you to gotta start right there. How in the heck does someone do comedy talking about suicide? Well, that is the elephant in the room. And when I keynote, that's the first thing I say. So let me answer the question everybody's thinking right now. A comedian? Talking about depression and suicide, how does that work? I think the comedian's a good choice, a couple of reasons. One is that if you think about it, the world's first comedian was the court jester. And the court jester's job was to speak truth to power on behalf of the powerless with humor. And I believe I speak truth to the power of mental illness on behalf of those often powerless in its grip with humor. Uh, I believe with this humor, there's hope, as you said, where there's laughter, there's life, nobody dies laughing. And as you mentioned, Depression and suicide run in my family. It's called generational depression and suicide. 
My grandmother died by suicide. My mother found her. My great aunt died by suicide several years later. My mother and I found her. I was four years old. I screamed for days. If you'd like to know the story, I'll, I'll spare you. It's horror movie horrific. Uh, but my first TEDx talk called A Matter of Laugh or Death, A Matter of Laugh or Death, mm. that story in all its glory is in there. And I myself have come close enough to ending my life. Uh, 2010, April, uh, last recession, we'd lost everything in a Chapter 7 bankruptcy. We'd worked for, for 25 years. And that's when I learned what the barrel of my gun tasted like. Out to the barn, put it in my mouth, pull the hammer back just to see if I could do it. Uh, spoiler alert. I did not pull the trigger. Um, and they usually get a nervous laugh from the audience at that point. Like, should we be laughing at this? And then I tell a true story. A friend of mine heard me say that at a keynote, came up afterwards and said this. Hey, man, how come you didn't pull the trigger? I said, hey, man, could you try to sound slightly less disappointed? So, yeah. And I live with two mental illnesses. One's called major depressive disorder and the other relatively common, most often known as depression and the other far more uncommon it's either chronic suicidal ideation or chronic suicidality and i've had clinicians stare at me when i say that because it's not the dsm diagnostic and statistical manual of you know the big book of mental illnesses what it means is for me and people in my tribe uh, the option of suicide is always on the menu as a solution for problems large and small. And I tell the audience, when I say small, my car broke down a couple of years ago. I had three thoughts unbidden. One, get it fixed. Two, buy a new one. Three, I could just kill myself. That's chronic suicidal ideation in a nutshell. Now, the benefit of that, Lois, mm -hmm. is that when I tell that story, and I, I tell it every time I do a keynote, it's there's been at least one person in the audience, sometimes more, who have chronic suicidal ideation. Mm. They did not know it had a name. They thought they were just some kind of freak and mm -hmm. all alone. I had a young woman come up at a college presentation and say, thanks for your keynote. I said, you're welcome. She goes, but I gotta tell you, it made me weep. How did it make you weep? She said, you know your story about the car, get it fixed, buy a new one or kill yourself? I go, yeah. She goes, I've been having those thoughts all my life. I thought it was just me. I didn't know it had a name. I thought I was some kind of freak and completely alone. And then when I heard you say that out loud, I realized for the first time in my life that I am not in fact alone. And I wept. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's the power of starting the conversation. Wow. I love that. And, and I, it's so cool that you've been able to, to share this and I'm sure impact, I don't know, thousands and thousands of lives. And so many people don't want to have that conversation. So it's a, there's so much stigma. And now that you've been through and probably heard a lot of other stories and you've had your own personal journey, like, why do you think there is such a, a stigma? Why, why, is, why can't we talk about it more openly and, and have honest, raw, real conversations like that? Well, it's frightening to most people. For someone to say, I'm having thoughts of suicide because most people have no idea what to do next. Um, they're afraid generally either A, they're going to say the wrong thing or B, they have no idea what to say. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's just like pulling a pin and tossing that grenade in somebody's lap. And we could talk about, by the way, you know, what to say and not say what to do and not do in that situation. Um, Cause here's the good news, Lois coach. It's um, eight, out, eight out of 10 people who are suicidal 
eight out of 10 are ambivalent. They cannot make up their mind. Nine out of 10 give hints in the last week leading up to an attempt. So that tells me we can save the vast majority of people if we know what to look and listen for. And that's what I teach when I, when I either do the keynote or, you know, um, I do a, up to a three hour continuing education program for doctors, dentists, veterinarians, a variety of professionals who get credit toward renewal of their license for suicide prevention. That's the core of my cur curriculum is, is how to spot that. Because if eight out of 10 are ambivalent, nine out of 10 give hints, that tells me we can save 80 or 90% of the people that end up dying by suicide. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Let's definitely go there. I, I mean, I, I just want to remind people too, like I, I, my mom was suicidal. I mean, if she would have been successful, I wouldn't be here. So I've always had this very like purpose driven desire and also fear. Like I lived in fear for a really long time. Of, I didn't want to become my mom. Right. Cause she was schizophrenic, mentally unwell, all of the, all of the bad stuff that you shove under the carpet and just like wear a mask and pretend I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. We're all fine. You know? So I think now with the pandemic, don't you see there's been like, I feel like there's been a shift where people are willing to take that mask off and say, you know what? I'm not fine. So I, I, I would imagine that there are more conversations like this. So I would, I would love for you to, to, to share with us, coach us on what are those signs and how can we be more aware well, and to your point, the overall suicide rate actually came down by a point and a half during the pandemic. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not across all groups, teenagers um, up, but the entire population down about a point and a half. The the good news is, I guess that's good news, but the, the better news is the number of phone calls to the suicide prevention lifeline or the suicide prevention text line, which is 741-741, went up by hundreds of thousands during the pandemic. So people are, are, are reaching out. Wow. Yeah. So um, let's start with depression. As they say in um, the mental health business, let's start upstream. Because uh, if, you if you can catch it early, then you know, the suicide is all the way downstream. So signs of depression, a couple of the most prominent ones have trouble getting out of bed in the morning, but rally in the afternoon. They, um, they let their personal hygiene go. So even if you see them on Zoom and you're thinking, hair's a little dirty, clothes are not quite so clean, it may be because they're having difficulty getting out of bed in the morning and run a little wash, take a shower. Um, they either eat too much or can't eat, sleep too much or can't sleep. So those are some of the sort of most prominent signs that there may be something wrong. There may be what worries me, Lois, and I've been keynoting on this since March of 2020. I have a keynote called Social Distancing and Staying Sane. Don't worry so much about your mentally ill friends. Because if you're mentally ill and high functioning, chances are you have a self-care plan in place. Hmm. And I do. It's it's um, diet. I'm on the keto diet and I do intermittent fasting, exercise five days a week, good night's sleep, meditation, and in my case, a little medication. And that's my self-care plan. And the through line in all five of those is that I can control each and every one. These are things that are within my control. Okay. You learn very quickly because when I wake up in the morning, whether there's a pandemic or not, the world is an uncertain place if you have mental illness. And so you've got to figure out how you're going to get out of bed. 
I also practice something called gamification. Mm. Make a game out of it. So if I can't get out of bed, then I make a list of six things. It's a do list. And the game is, as soon as I scratch off number six, I don't care if it's three in the afternoon, middle of the, you know, the broad daylight. I can go back to bed, pull the covers over my head, and binge watch the blacklist on Netflix or whatever. That's, that's gamification. What worried me was during the pandemic, I suspected there were quite a few people who were situationally depressed. They, they'd never been clinically depressed, but because of the uncertainty and the uneasiness and all the hoo-ha that, that comes with the pandemic. Mm. And if you've never been depressed, how would you know? How, would you understand, how could you understand why you can't get out of bed in the morning if you never had that problem? That's what worried me was neurotypical people who found themselves situationally depressed. And again, eat too much, can't eat, sleep too much, can't sleep, trouble getting out of bed in the morning, rallies in the afternoon, lets the personal hygiene go. Now, what do you say to somebody who's depressed? Well, here's what you don't say. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Turn that frown upside down. My personal favorite, choose joy. <laughs> yeah, last time somebody said that to me, I said, look, unless you're talking about dishwashing liquid, I don't, and B, don't you think if it were that simple that I would have done it, I don't know, four decades ago? Uh, here's what you do say if they're willing to admit they're depressed. I'm here for you and I mean it. I know mm. you're not lazy, crazy, or self-absorbed. I mm. know that depression is a mental illness. The good news is with time and treatment, things will get better. I'll take the time, help you get the treatment. Now, Lois, here's the tough one. You have to ask them in no uncertain terms, are you having thoughts of suicide? And if you cannot ask that question, you find somebody who can. Hmm. Let's say they are not forthcoming, but you're, you're, you, your intuition, your gut tells you they're, they're circling the drain. How would you know? Well, they talk about death and dying. They Google death and dying. Death hmm. and dying appears as a theme in their artwork, their music, their writing. They're getting their personal affairs in order including giving away prized possessions because they want to make sure the possessions go to the person they want them to go to when they're gone. And if they give away a pet, that's the top of that pyramid. Mm -hmm. They're stockpiling medications or buying a firearm. And here's one that I find terrifying. They've been depressed for a long time and then for no apparent reason, they're happy. And you're happy because thank God they're happy. Problem is, they may have chosen time, place, and method, and that's why they're happy, because they know the pain is coming to an end. A lot of people don't understand that for most suicides, most often, it's not about wanting to kill yourself. It's about simply wanting to end the pain. I don't want to kill myself. I just wanted to end the pain. Hmm. Now, let's say they do say they're having thoughts of suicide. What then? Well, you say, do you have a plan? If they say yes, what is your plan? If it's detailed, time, place, method, you need to get them on the phone with the suicide prevention lifeline. Mm -hmm. And if they won't pick up the phone, you pick up the phone, call the lifeline, and the volunteer will do what they can, talk the phone in the hands of the person mm -hmm. in crisis. When do you call 911? If they're in immediate danger to themselves or someone else, you got to call 911. Mm -hmm. Now, Again, this is not in any textbook, what's coming up. A psychiatrist friend of mine who also has chronic suicidal ideation, we came up with this because we thought the protocol didn't go far enough. 
supposedly mm -hmm. got a plan, but it's not really well-formed, time, place, method. What do you say? We believe you should say, well, tell me, are you going to kill yourself? And if they say no, then you say, okay, tell me why not. Make them give voice. Wow. And if you ask me that, there are several reasons, but, but the one that seems to resonate with most people is, my mother and father desperately wanted children. My mother got pregnant. She carried it to term and it died moments after birth. Mm. A year later, she got pregnant again. She carried it to term and it died moments after birth. Mm. Somewhere, somehow, <clears throat> she found the courage to try again. And I was born and the fourth time my sister was born. And I feel like she was so brave and worked so hard to bring me here that I must be as brave and work as hard to stay here mm. until my appointed time. Mm. That's awesome. Wow. I love that. Thank you for sharing. I'm just kind of letting that soak in. Uh, and it reminds me too, uh, last Friday, um, we had a guest who we talked about a lot of times, um, grief, sorrow, depression, uh, all of those terms, it, it comes back to not having a purpose in life or not feeling like you matter or feeling like your purpose has been discovered. Right. A lot of times people feel lost. I've had eight friends and a neighbor commit suicide. And I have to believe that at some point they just do. You, do you do you feel like that is really part of it is they just don't feel like they have a purpose? Well, especially men. I mean, I'm sure it happens to women, too. But eight out of 10 people who die by suicide in the U.S. right now are men. Yeah. And mostly men age 45, 54 and Caucasian. And what's happening is in a lot of these cases, They've lost their jobs, manufacturing blue collar, good paying jobs. Mm -hmm. People think they went overseas, but 85% of those jobs went to um, artificial intelligence and robots. So men tend to tie their identity right. to their job. So if I'm not that guy, who am I? I mean, why am I here? Which can lead to, you know, substance abuse disorder and, uh, you know, a downward spiral yeah. i mean i'm sure the same thing happens for women but men men tend to identify with what it is they do and if you've been a guy who went to the high school and they got a good blue collar job and worked your way up to union shop steward good middle class wages and then you're cut loose at 52 three four five you know it's i mean it's devastating so yeah, out of the eight friends and a neighbor, seven of them were, were male. Um, so I, I can, and I, I have a lot of masculinity. <laughs> I, I've got a lot of testosterone. So I know like when I lost everything in the recession, because my identity was tied to being an Ironman triathlete who could kick ass and take names and being a badass realtor who had three real estate related companies going for, you know, millions. My identity was wrapped up sure. in those labels those titles. And of course I had suicidal thoughts for the first time in my life. And I was like, Oh my God, like this is, this is, and that's the thing too, is like, I came from a fairly religious family too. And, you know, like suicide is, you know, you're 
going to hell. I mean, there's all these these judgments too, but don't you think a lot of times it's just these people didn't have the right tools or the right questions and 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 they didn't know what else to do. Like you said, they wanted to end the pain. Well, and the when I came so close to killing myself, a friend of mine said that, you know, if you killed yourself, you'd go to hell. And what I said was, what you don't know is I was already there. And I, I believe if you're going to talk to somebody who is in crisis, you park your judgment at the door along with your philosophical and religious beliefs. You need to meet them where they are. Mm. If you firmly believe you're going to hell, but they don't, then let's not share that. Mm. I, on the flip side of that, I'm not particularly religious. However, if I'm talking to you and you're considering suicide and I know you're strong in Christ, I'm going to leverage that. I'm going to say, well, have you prayed about this? Well, have you talked to your minister about this? What do you say you, me, and your minister form a team? Hmm. See if we can't talk. So use where, meet them wherever they are and use that as leverage to keep them alive. And it's not therapy. It's simply planting seeds of hope. You know, we're going to form a team. We're going to tackle this thing, you know. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's coming from the heart-centered place. And I think part of my mission and vision and why I have this topic, guys, because some of you guys like, this is like heavy, Lois. Wait, what does this have to do with business, right? It has everything to do with the, my healthy and wealthy and wise motto is like, if you speak your truth, you find your purpose and you find meaning, like in, in Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, you know, in the middle of a concentration camp, right? Don't you think... You know, a lot of people, uh, he's, he, he lived because he he found meaning, positive meaning. And so, and, and a lot of people, like you said, if they do end up taking their lives, it's probably because like their career, their identity was tied up in, mm-hmm. in something that was exterior, external, that really truly isn't, isn't as important as, as, as your soul, as your, 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 your light to the world. So I just am so grateful to have you here today. Okay. And I want to remind people, um, just hit the share button if you feel like this is a, is a powerful message, um, especially given the month that we're in, but always knowing that with the pandemic, there's a lot of people who can be having for the first time depression or, or feeling just lost and, 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 and searching and questioning. So please do hit the share button with your community. Um, what other advice or tips or thoughts? And, and maybe we can even talk a little bit about your TEDx journey too, because I think that's right. amazing. Um, right. But anything else about, you know, mental health, depression, awareness tips that maybe you haven't covered yet? Well, and uh, along the lines of Victor Frankl, Nietzsche said, what is a life of means without meaning? Mm. I spoke at TEDx Scarsdale High School and it's not high school students speaking. It's, they put on the event with an adult supervisor. And the reason they brought me in was the theme of the event was they they wanted kids there because it's a very wealthy area. They wanted kids to understand that it's not, life's not all about money. Mm -hmm. And so I did a speech called born to be funny, making a living and a difference. Mm. Because I always wanted to, even as a comedian, want to make a difference somehow or other. And when I began speaking on suicide prevention, that that's my purpose and my passion. I go to bed thinking about it, waking up thinking about it. Um, here's how it ties into business, by the way. My fourth TEDx talk, 
was called Suicide, the Secret of My Success, Dead Man Talking. And by the way, if your title and subtitle is good enough and the idea, you don't even have to audition. They just said, you're on. What happened was, I was, it starts like this. What would you do if you knew for a fact you couldn't fail or lose? And what audacious thing would you try if you knew by not trying it, you would literally die? Mm. And that's where I was in January of 84. I'm married to a wonderful woman, but we don't belong together. We had nothing in common, but you know what they say, opposites attract. She was pregnant, I wasn't. Um, the I'm working for her father's insurance company because that's what she wanted me to do. So I'm living up to her expectations. I'm not going to the comedy club to do open mic night, which is where I think I belong. And I realized because I'm depressed and suicidal, I'm going to kill myself sooner rather than later if something doesn't change. My second thought was, well, wait a minute. I could divorce my wife, quit my job, try comedy. If it works, great. If it doesn't, heck, I can still kill myself. Now, like most mentally ill people, I figured I was the only one who ever had that thought process. I've met a half a dozen entrepreneurs since then who had the very same thought process. And what kicked this off for me was I read two studies on entrepreneurs. And it turns out one third, a solid one third of entrepreneurs are depressed and suicidal. The clinicians thought, think, that it's long hours, you know, little sleep and, and unmet expectations. And that may be the case in a lot, of, a lot of instances. However, I believe there's a significant subset that are not depressed and suicidal because they are entrepreneurs. They, in fact, are entrepreneurs because they were depressed and suicidal. And they thought if they stuck where they were, stayed doing what they were doing, they were going to kill themselves, which, if you think about it, I had absolutely nothing to lose. I could put it all on one roll of the dice because if I stayed put, I was done. So why not roll the dice? And fortunately, unfortunately, and by the way, when I got on stage that first night, uh, April 1st, 84, halfway through my routine, inside my head, I heard a little voice that simply said, you're home. And that's only happened a couple times in my life. You know, wow. one just popped into my head. So I knew. And my second thought was, I'm going to do this for a living. I have no idea how. <laughs> but, and it was hard. If, I, if I'd known how hard it was to make a living doing stand-up comedy, I might not have tried it. But I didn't, I didn't know any. I thought, about, I thought about doing a keynote called, what would you do if you didn't know no better? I didn't know no better. I didn't know it was hard to make a living doing comedy. I just knew that's what I should be doing. So that, that, that was my fourth TEDx talk. My fifth one, my favorite, which was um, mental health and the orgasm, treat your depression single-handedly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 16 tries, 16 different events. I knew not everybody would like that, but what I also knew was whoever liked it would love it. And that's what happened. They said, Frank, you don't even have to audition. You're going to be right for lunch to give them something to talk about when we break for lunch. So, um, and that, that uh, Lois, is what I think is the linchpin to getting a TEDx. I mean, they get a couple hundred applications. So a TEDx application is essentially a marketing pitch. You have to stand out. Mm -hmm. Whatever you put in those first couple of blanks, it needs to grab them. And the way I do it is I make the title something that is 
a little nebulous. You understand the English words, but you're not sure where they're going. For example, I've got a client <clears throat> who lost everything, millions, because of his mental illness, now in disability. Wow. His title is radical acceptance. He's accepted his mental illness. Rather than fight it, he's accepted. The subtitle is, what I have is not who I am. Hmm. Now, I read that title and subtitle. I'm reading the description and then why he's the person to do it and then why should anybody care? Because those mm. are the first four or five questions on TEDx application. So you really need, like I said, it's a marketing thing. you got to grab a number because the farther they go down that application, the better shot you got at getting an audition. Wow. I think I just changed my TEDx talk topic in my head three times while you were talking. So I'm just... Just warning you, I'm gonna I'm gonna be writing this down. I'm not gonna say it because I don't want anybody to steal it. But um, I'm excited to work with you, and I just want to acknowledge something because I know when I'm working with my clients as a sales trainer, coach, you know, helping people be seen, be heard, be paid. A lot of it is that imposter syndrome, right? And that fear of not being liked, that fear of rejection, that fear of being judged, a fear of maybe oversharing too much, right? I've heard that before. Right. Sure. And so I just think it's so cool. Uh, and I know it's cheesy, but you made your mess, your message, right? You, you actually, yeah. in, in some cases, people might say, well, that's polarizing and blah, 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 blah. But you're making a difference and, and you're here and your life's purpose is, is so big. And so I, I know that there's people out there who have a fear of public speaking, right? Uh, that kind of goes with the topic of the day. It's the number one fear before death. Um, do you have any advice for someone as we kind of start wrapping it up here? And, and guys, I don't know if anybody wants to comment below, ask questions, you know, feel free, even on the replay. Um, Frank is inside of my healthy and wealthy and wise community. I just want to remind you guys, if you're seeing this somewhere else in YouTube or on iTunes, please join us inside the healthy and wealthy and wise community so that you can connect with our speakers, connect with our, our amazing um, audience and like-minded community. Um, but Outside of that, I mean, how does someone overcome their fear of public speaking and do a TEDx talk other than hire you, of course? Well, Jerry Seinfeld has a joke about that. I worked with him back in the day. He said, you know, the number one fear is public speaking. The number two fear is death, which means that the guy giving the eulogy at the funeral would rather be the guy in the casket. Uh, <laughs> because it's, um, you know, I, I think... When I work with my clients, first thing I ask them is, okay, what are you passionate about? Because TEDx is all about passion. You cannot be inspiring, I believe, unless you are inspired. Mm. You know, some a young woman, wonderful young woman, we did a Zoom, and she goes, I want to talk about customer service. I said, I can't help you. I can't sell that. If you said to me, I want to talk about the power of empathy in customer service. Okay, now I can sell that because you're obviously passionate about empathy. Mm. So that I think if you are passionate enough, um, somebody said to me on a college campus, kids would drive me around to radio interviews because it was a public event plus the college. They said, you know, Frank, nowadays on the college campus, you know, young people, kids get really offended all the time at all sorts of things. Are you worried about, as a comedian, are you worried about offending them? I said, if I was a comedian, I would be super careful not to step on anybody's toes. However, I'm on campus to save lives. 
So I got to tell you, I don't give a rat how they feel or if their toes get stepped on. I think that's the that's a solution to fear of public speaking and the imposter syndrome. If you are passionate about it mm. and you and you are doing good work and you're doing what you were born to do, mm-hmm. you can wake me out of a sound sleep and go, Frank, give me 45. Okay. <laughs> and that's what I tell my clients. Look, if I came over to your house and you were asleep and I shook you awake and said, give me 45 minutes on something. Whatever they say next is probably what we should be doing a TEDx about. Awesome. Awesome. And I know with what you coach on and helping people speak their truth, be seen, be heard, and getting keynote opportunities, getting more speaking engagements, getting more clients, getting more exposure, I I do want to let you guys know that if you want to learn more about that piece, because today was was more about the the topic at hand and suicide prevention, um, Frank's actually one of my amazing, illustrious speakers at my Manifest and Monetize Summit. Um, which is coming up fast and furious. So I want to make sure you guys uh, attend that so you can you can hear more about that side of what he does to help people. But how, again, how it plays into your passion, your purpose, your mission, your message, and and then to be able to, to monetize that. And you never feel like you're working a day in your life, do you, Frank? No. And as an entrepreneur, you know this, Lois. I mean, when you're an entrepreneur, there are no weekends, there are no holidays, but that doesn't bother me because I'm, I, I truly believe that I'm doing what I was born to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and in the speaking business, they say you need to pick a lane, find something, become the thought leader expert, and the riches are in the niches. Hmm. Don't be everything to everybody. You know, my goal for my TEDx and coaching clients is that the day comes when they're no longer a commodity. When somebody wants a speaker on a particular topic, they don't just go looking for speakers. They go looking for that person who speaks on that topic. Yeah. That's long game. It's going to take a while, but that's the, uh, that's the long game for the, the folks I coach at TEDx and speaker marketing. I love it. Well, mark my words, guys. He's been patient with me with everything that I've had expanding in my life as an entrepreneur and mom and all the things. Um, But I am excited to not only have Frank as one of my speakers for the Manifest and Monetize. Again, go sign up. Not now, but right now at manifestandmonetize.com. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Uh, However, after, you know, getting past my summit, I'm going to be working on my own TEDx talk. So you heard it here. I'm putting my butt on the line. So we got witnesses, Frank. We got witnesses. Uh, I'm going to be excited to to figure out what that that uh, amazing, you know, story is that I can share and inspire others um, through what I've experienced in life. Well, um, and that's what the first part of most TEDx's are. It's as a friend of mine says, your messes and stresses, and then the second part is what you learn, and the third part is what you're going to teach them. Simple as that. That's Can I awesome. leave you on a positive note? Absolutely. I have. I do have one more question for you. But oh, if you, yeah. so, do you want to no, do the positive? Ahead. Okay. So this is. A, I ask this of all my guests at the end of the show, and just want to remind you guys again: please hit the share button if you saw value in this show today, and 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 please sign up and be a part of that that uh, summit as well. Um, but healthy, wealthy, and wise. I, I've sort of alluded to this earlier, but it has a ton of meaning for me in my own mental health journey. Actually, the the healthy part came from my own battle with uh, depression and anxiety. Um, but when you hear the phrase healthy and wealthy and wise, Frank, what does it mean to you? Well, the, the, 
I actually thought about this several times when you uttered it. The healthy. Um, you thought, well, that that that, that that's me. Um, you know, I mean, wealthy, eh, wise, perhaps. But the, the I think leading with healthy is because without your health, mental or physical, and and you know, health is not simply the absence of disease. I have two mental health diseases, but I may be the most positive suicidal person you'll ever meet. Um, it's because mine's not situational. I've been most depressed some of the best times in my life, and I'm familiar with my cycle, and I do my self care, and so I think that's I think healthy should be the first word in that in that tagline, because uh, without that piece, wealthy and wise doesn't matter. And in fact, they all they, it all comes full circle. Um, I love that. That's awesome. Well, you said you had a positive note that you wanted to close with. Here is your opportunity. Well, the, the, um, we can make a difference. We can save a life. Well, eight out of 10 people who are suicidal are ambivalent. Nine out of 10 give hints. Anybody can stop a suicide. You do not have to be a clinician. All you have to do is care and step out of your comfort zone and plant seeds of hope. So you can make a difference. You can save a life and you can do it by doing something as simple as what we're doing right here. And that is starting the conversation on suicide. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for honoring us with your time today amidst your 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 full plated schedule for the month of September, you know, jet setting all over. So I'm so grateful again as a reminder, guys, because of this special episode and a different day and time, we will not be doing a live this Friday. We'll be back on Friday, September 24th with Scott Mason, my new brother from another mother who actually knows Frank. I'm like, oh my gosh, how does this happen? My guests know each other and it's like the, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon or something like that. But super excited. Scott is going to bring a lot of energy, a lot oh of passion, and a lot of power. <laughs> oh my God. Oh yeah. Scott and I are in, Scott's one of the authors in, or one of the contributors in our four book series on men's mental health. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Is amazing. I mean, if, if I were gay and single, I'd marry him. Um, <laughs> well, on that note, that tells you a little bit more about Scott and his own journey uh, of uh, battling depression, obviously being not only gay, um, but also being uh, biracial growing up in the, the Midwest. I mean, need I say more? We'll, we'll leave yeah. it on that note. It's going to be powerful. And he's a very successful business coach and um, got a, has a great story. So until next time, guys, until Friday, September 24th on our next live here at Healthy and Wealthy and Wise, we wish you the best health, the best wealth, whatever that means for you, and the best wisdom to not only help yourself, but look out for those those hidden messages, those people who are struggling and, and see what you can do to take our message that we shared today with Frank's wisdom to a whole another level. You can save a life. And make sure you put my, if you would, coach, my phone number in the show notes, because every keynote I do, I put the number up on the screen. I say, look, if you're, if you're suicidal, call the lifeline or text the text line. If you're just having a really bad day, call a crazy person. Here's my cell number. That's going above and beyond. I appreciate you. I, I will do that. And I'll actually also put my number in there as well, um, just as, a, as another support. So we, we got you. We love you. Everybody know out there, you matter. Um, you have a purpose. And we're so grateful that you could be here, um, a part of this message today. My pleasure. All right. Bye-bye for now, guys. Take care. 
Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe, refer a friend, and please drop me a rating or a review. If you do that, I'll reward you with a free 20-minute free coaching session on crafting your journey to your best self. Reach out to me at lois at loiskofi.com to claim your 20-minute slot. Until next time, be healthy, wealthy, and wise.